Hello, and welcome to Books in the Corner, the podcast where me and my friends reread our childhood favorites and discuss how they continue to impact us today. This week, Miss Hewitt returns, and I am joined by a new guest to discuss The Silver Chair. Hello, and welcome back to Books in the Corner. Uh, I am your host, Lissy. This week, we are joined once again by Miss Hewitt. And we have a new guest, Scott. Yeah! Welcome to the pod, Scott. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, This week, we are talking about The Silver Chair, um, which this will be an interesting conversation because two of us don't like it that much. So... Listen, I will defend (laughs) this till the day I die. So... um, uh, let's start with the the question that I guess I'm asking every time now. Miss Hewitt, how did this book specifically impact your life, either as a child or as an adult? Okay, well, it didn't as a child, aside from the fact that it is part of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, as an adult, I have a lot more things to say, and we'll get into those details. But I do think, um, I would say like as an adult, the key things is recognizing the like this book has lessons in recognizing the humanity of others and being obedient to the voice of God in your life. So we, we will talk about that more, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, what about you, Scott? Has this or if, if you can't think of anything for this book, any of the other Narnia books or just Narnia as a whole? Yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't say that this book in particular has had any major influence or impact on me, uh, but I would definitely say that the series as a whole has. Um, honestly, a lot more in terms of writing style than necessarily in terms of uh, imagery or meaning or uh, things like that. I just feel like uh, I really love the way that C.S. Lewis writes, mm-hmm. um, and I think that having read the books as a child and also having even just listen to audiobooks of his work more recently. I have really found uh, his writing style to be uh, pretty impactful in terms of the way that I also write. Yeah, this book also has not had, I mean, in my childhood, did not impact me really at all, um, other than really confusing me (laughs) and frustrating me. And it still does. Because it's a fever dream, as you like to it say. It is a fever dream. Nothing about it makes any sense. The characters are frustrating. Aslan is very distant and impersonal. I It feels, that's a very cold feeling book. Like everything kind of is always like damp. Like the moon? Like, <laughs> I don't know if the moon is cold. I've never been to the moon. But when you look at it, don't you feel cold? No, I feel safe. Oh really? You feel safe. Yeah, I love the moon. First off, I don't know. Is, I don't know if there's some, some greater depth to why you guys are talking about the moon right now. I um, and I will get there. Yeah, okay. very excidedly. But carry on while you feel safe on the moon. Yes, please. I don't feel safe on the. I've never been to the moon. But any scene of anyone on the moon, they're cold. Are they? Yes. Is it cold on the moon? There's like you're not near the sun. That's the part like that reflects, but it's not hot. Well, but like, but, there. but proximal, like, if we go based on how close the Earth is to the sun, yeah. the moon is not that, it's like, the distance from, of the moon to the sun and the Earth to the sun is not, there's no significant difference. Yeah, but if we were one degree closer to the sun, we would all burn up. Okay, I mean, yeah. 
but also that's the teleological and argument. And if the moon was one degree down. closer, that we to the would Earth all burn up if we were close to the sun. Yeah, and that if what? we were one degree further away, we would all freeze. The the oh, I, we were in the I thought you were like conditions for for life on Earth, and some would argue that is the the teleological argument for the existence of God is that life on Earth is so perfectly constructed for humans mm. thriving, because God intentionally put us there. No, I'm not convinced. That's fair. Um, <laughs> I also am. That's that's one of the weakest arguments for the existence of God because it's, the it's, evolutionary perspective is that we obviously just evolved to the prime conditions for where we are. But that is not about the moon. The moon <laughs> is related to the the medieval uh, concept of of the heavens in the the planet Narnia book. Um, this author identifies that Lewis was actually associating every one of the seven books with one of the medieval planets and their mythology and concept around it. And the silver chair is associated with the moon and the moon is associated with hysteria and madness. Hmm. So there's a lot of that going on in here. Is yeah. that, is that a theory or is that something that is that C.S. Lewis has stated that he was C.S. Lewis died before anyone figured it out and he is uh -huh. laughing in his grave that it took them like <laughs> 60 years for anyone to find a concrete. Like the imagery is that clear? Oh it is so obvious. This yeah. guy wrote like basically it's a doctoral thesis that is published as the book Planet Narnia and it is at this point essentially undisputed by C.S. Lewis experts okay. that everyone is mad that they didn't find it first mm -hmm. because there were other theories out there of like oh it was like the seven deadly sins. Oh, or but, oh, seven whatevers and like trying to come up with all these things and nothing really fit and lewis like drops hints all over the place in like correspondence with children because he's just like that mm -hmm. and so this guy like like combed through everything and lewis was a was literally like medieval history expert yeah and it is uncanny like why else would bacchus show up in a children's book it's associated with the planet. It's the, you know, like, and there's like weird things, like even color scheme stuff that he picks up on in the, like the color red shows up a lot in the Jove one and all this stuff. So the color, the, the, the feel and color scheme is very like silver is all over the place and uh, even the title, mm -hmm. but like very much <laughs> that there's a lot of well, stuff like, going on with that. Yeah. I bet Tolkien is kind of rolling over in his grave because he didn't figure he it didn't out. Figure it yeah. out. <laughs> Either that or he was sworn to secrecy, but I feel like he wouldn't have kept that. I know, because they knew. that was like that's like a thing that's memed all the time is the fact that Tolkien like was so mad at C.S. Lewis that things in his books didn't make sense. But they I mean, because I mean we now know that there's there because of Planet Narnia that there was a reason why there were things in his books that didn't make sense without it. But thoughts on the silver chair. I feel like I have less to say, so I should go first just to get out of the way. Go right ahead. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan, personally. Uh, I I feel like it doesn't have as clear of a direction as the other books, if that makes sense. So the plot is much less linear, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I think in the case of The Silver Chair specifically, it works to its detriment. Also, I should be clear, I haven't read this book in a long time. So okay, because I was gonna say, on the as far as linear plot goes, it's the one where they're like on a quest, and then they like don't follow the map. Don't. They don't follow the map, but like in that sense, it has a a, a journey. It definitely it, it does, does. But I feel like it's not as concrete and clear as the other ones in a way that is not like cool and subversive, but right. in a way that is makes it feel kind of directionless and weird. And I think a big part of that has to do with Aslan is not 
physically by their side like at all throughout this book like on their journey he's there at the beginning to just like tell jill what to do tell this person who's never been to narnia and like is scared this lion is going to eat her um just go do this and then yeets her off a cliff can we camp on that for a while yeah before we go on to the rest of what you yeah have to say. Let's, be, not not her eating oh. <laughs> off a cliff oh, but the fact that aslan gives jill of all people the instructions the least competent in the group <laughs> to have interactions with aslan mm. and then she doesn't know what they mean and she like doesn't understand how to like communicate that to everyone else and like eustace is very gracious to her on the fact that like he Except was awful for, uh... no no and the fact that like he was terrible before and then he has learned to be a kinder person for the most part like he's made yes. progress yes but he like when jill like lands from getting off the cliff and is like eustace i saw aslan he told me you need to say hi to a friend in the first person you see in Narnia. And Eustace is like, I don't know if we are in Narnia. And he's like, did you really see Aslan? It's, I mean. Okay, absolutely fair. Forgot it like, that part. It like gets, <laughs> it, the whole beautiful story of Eustace in some, not in always, because- it's undermined a lot. <laughs> it, it really is. Because that is not like, Eustace was the one who tried to like, bring them into yeah. Narnia. Yeah. And, <laughs> It just, it just, it undermines his whole arc. And he does, That's he- a real bummer. He does admittedly, like when he fi figures out that Caspian was the, the old, old man, was the old man, he does immediately feel regret. And this is something I do appreciate is that we finally get a, an accurate emotion <laughs> in, in reaction to something. Because when he then goes to Jill in her room, he's like, on the verge of tears being like that was my friend who just a few months ago was only a few years older yeah. than me and we went we like fought a sea serpent we went on this adventure he like saw me grow and now he's an old man and he's going to die and i just watched him get on a boat and go away without saying hello like he does regret that but then he just goes back to essentially ignoring jill and fighting with her the entire time instead of just listening to what she has to say or trying to help her understand what aslan told her okay fair point but that's the thing that that i feel like she doesn't know how to communicate to them well the concept and experience of aslan spoke to me because she was isolated and alone and she never knew anyone who talked about how aslan talks to them and so like how much did eustace actually share with her like hey this is what it's like to hear aslan or to be in conversation with aslan and that's where i really get frustrated sometimes with the lack of conversations about what is it like to hear the Holy Spirit and how do we talk to the Holy Spirit and how that's different and distinct because Aslan speaks to people sometimes in riddles, sometimes in direct statements, sometimes in the form of a lion, sometimes in the different different forms and, and different means. And I think that there's a there's a place for for in this. And like I, I mentioned that as an adult, this has been a lesson from this book of how do we listen to the Holy Spirit and how what do we do in obedience to those weird things? Like I have had some wild experiences where I feel like it's a prompting from the Holy Spirit and that's very Christianese language. And as I, I interact in the field of youth ministry and working with teenagers, I have a lot of conversations with them about faith building and listening to the Holy Spirit. And I'm shocked at how little they have previously had discussion about this. Like how few of them have grown up in homes where it's common to just say, oh, I felt this um, warm breeze on my face and it was 
like the Lord was giving me a hug and that language being common to them of those things, that does not mean that God is the wind, but that where do we look for and recognize God's presence and where do we then look for and recognize God's voice? And so I make jokes about how I talk to trees. It's not that I'm actually talking to trees. It's that I'm trying to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice and being clear that like in the Christian worldview, there's parameters and it's not just whatever pops into my head is God telling me something. But I think that that's where Eustace and Jill as kids, like they didn't have anyone walking through them, like through life with them saying, hey, these are the ways Aslan's voice will show up. And then this is how you respond to it. Like you obey Aslan's voice because he is trustworthy. He is not a tame lion, but he is safe. But like, Eustace, Eustace would have been able to tell, like, talk to Jill about that. And he doesn't. And I think that is a, I think that is a fault of his. But I also think it's particularly intriguing to me that Jill is the one that Aslan spoke to. Like, why didn't he go to, like, why on earth did he go to Jill when Jill's the one who has no stinking clue? what to do with this information or how to respond or if Aslan's even trustworthy. Like she doesn't have prior experience of Aslan and, and Aslan shows up in this book and speaks to the one person who doesn't know him. Mm-hmm. What do we do with that? Well, Jill kind of does make a comment of like, if I hadn't been so stupid and accidentally knocked Eustace off the cliff, then he would have been here and he would have understood. And then Aslan is like, yep. True. So, <laughs> so Jill has messed up everything for herself. And continues to do so. But like Aslan doesn't make it better. So literally Aslan, like, but I don't like Aslan in this book. I'm sorry. But yeah, but okay, so he wow. could have so when when Eustace and Jill are separated, <laughs> Aslan had a choice with who he spoke to. Yeah. He chose to go to Jill instead of to Eustace. Yeah. What the heck, Aslan? Just saying. I, I mean, yeah, I don't, I, he also, like, is very cold towards Jill. Like, if you compare Jill's first interaction with Aslan to Lucy's first interaction with Aslan. I'm telling you the moon is cold, but carry on. They're just, they're so, like, Aslan is so, like, warm and kind with Susan and Lucy. And with Jill, he's like, yeah, I've eaten kids before. Drink the <laughs> damn water. Like, <laughs> I, can I say, I kind of like that, though. I kind of like that. Literally, like, the first thing that she says when she sees him is, hey, do you eat little girls? And he's like, mm, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but I, 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 think, I think that's a really funny and also interesting interaction. I mean, yeah, it's funny, but he also just refers, to, like, he doesn't start referring to her as daughter of Eve until right before he throws her off the cliff. Like, he just refers to her as human child. Like, he just has, like, there's just no, like, almost love or, like, desire for relationship in the way he interacts with her up until the very end. But maybe that's just sometimes how it is, you know? Is it? I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't feel don't... like, I mean, I've been very open about the fact that I don't, I don't experience uh, things like the Holy Spirit in as strong a way as a lot of other people seem to, and I, so I wouldn't necessarily describe my relationship with god to be uh something that is necessarily always comforting and warm or nice well no it it it, it's not and that's i talked with hope about this a bit for horse and his boy where with with horse and his boy and with this one these are the two books where we get to see 
the he is not a tame lion yeah. aspect of Aslan. And I think in The Horse and His Boy, it was executed a lot better than in The Silver Chair. I don't know. Are you just bitter because you've been yeeted off of a cliff? Uh, yes. <laughs> what gives, Jesus? <laughs> no. I, I am, I am, I'm just, I, okay, this, something else. So we get, like, between, like, duos throughout the book. So we have Diggory and Polly, we have Shasta and Erebus, and then we have Eustace and Jill. And they all have very different banter with each other. But Shasta and Erebus and Diggory and Polly, there's slightly more humor to it. And Eustace and Jill just hate each other. Like, they just don't get along. I agree. Why are you describing my life? (laughs) With with Jill. With Jill. (laughs) I'm Eustace, as established in our previous recording. Here's, here's, Here's what annoys me. So I went to school with a kid i'm not gonna say he was like eustace but our dynamic with each other was very similar to eustace and jill and i the the reason why it frustrates me so much to read this is because anytime because me and this kid were just arguing constantly i don't think i ever had a pleasant interaction with this kid and people would just be like it's just because you're too alike and i was like this kid's a jerk i don't think i'm a jerk (laughs) I was, but, <laughs> but like, like there, I just, I don't, it doesn't work. It's not functional. It hinders them in a lot of ways. And they're just arguing. And then Puddle Glum is like, yeah, this is right. Like, the, like, I, I don't, I just, I don't, the characters aren't pleasant in this book. And it's Eustace. He's supposed to be better, better. And he's not, and it just makes me sad. But but I'm gonna say it again. That's just how it be sometimes. You know? I, I know. That's just how like, life is. I'm still I'm such a sucker for a redemption arc that there is still growth. But there's there's this opportunity for Eustace to be like Edmund was when Edmund was immediately better mm-hmm. all the time, and Eustace is the one who's way more human in the fact that he's better. Realizes he was a total jerk face, and then is. Still he's still making mistakes. Makes mistakes and then grows again. Right. And so yeah. I want to I want to honor the fact that he's very human in that and like not yeah. excuse his rude behavior to Jill. But also Jill is obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And like that's that's that frustrating they grate against each other and I want to recognize that is real life of we grate against people and we need to identify where is the point where I can grow. Like you even identifying you were a jerk sometimes but that where is where is this place that you can grow you can't help jill grow but you can grow as eustace mm-hmm. i will say though that we didn't get um a, a pov from edmund after he went back to school after uh lion witch in the wardrobe so like we don't like he might have yeah had, like of been course a jerk. been a jerk but of course he was he went back to be a king after having been been a literal grown up yeah. and been a, a diplomat and a, a soldier. Yeah. So he might have again the time thing and the memory thing in this series doesn't make sense and it makes me mad. Anyway. That's a good conclusion. <laughs> Moving on. 
Oh, something else that made me mad. I'm sorry. I'm this. I just. Is there anything you like about, about this book? book making you mad? Puddle Glum. I like. I love him. I am him. Me and Jill, you and your Puddle Glum. <laughs> we need a Eustace now. I'm Eustace. No. Yeah, I'm Eustace. We all know who Jill is okay. and your Puddle Glum. Okay. That makes me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Better than the giant giant that tries to eat them. Yeah. I'm probably I'm probably Trumpkin actually. Really appreciate the <laughs> I love Trumpkin. Yes. I love Trumpkin in this book. He's useless. Does hey. he know it? Oh, he's useless. <laughs> Fantastic. The girls are murdered. Who murdered them? <laughs> that's that's um, Scotty to a T. Yep. That's me. No. Um. So, so the bird, what's the bird's name? The owl? Uh, I don't remember. He's always like, start with a P. Yeah, I was thinking like pool something. Pool. Pool. Poltergeist. Poltergeist. (laughs) Great name for an owl. Goals, Um, get an owl, name it Poltergeist. It's not Pig Widgeon, that's Harry Potter. It's like, uh, isn't it like... It is something. Hold on. Wow, we are not. Said we can't owl. even name the characters. We are not qualified to be commenting <laughs> on this book. Is he just called the owl? Maybe no, he has a name because Trumpkin. Trumpkin says Glimfeather. Oh, I was not. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I was really <laughs> off the mark on that one. Okay, so so Glimfeather no know, uh, knows that Eustace and Jill have been sent by Aslan. Um, and th- this is an old timey ship that Caspian has just gotten on. It's not a fast ship. So while think the bird could fly there, the bird could fly after the ship and be like, y'all need to turn around. Eustace is here. And Caspian will be like, my friend, let's go back before I die of old age. And because they're still there. The, 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 it's an old bird. It's not an old bird. You know what? Maybe he's slow. No, not all birds are fast. He carries Jill and Eustace on his back to the meeting to the parliament of owls and then have you seen that meme with tolkien when people ask him why the eagles didn't just carry the the group to mordor and then he's like well you know well shut up (laughs) (laughs) well this is like like while they're talking to because by this point by the time they start talking to trumpkin um and and Eustace has pretty much already figured out that, or has been told that it's Caspian. And so he could be like, we need to talk to Caspian. And the ship is still close enough that Glimfeather could just fly But literally this book is a hot mess of everybody fudging around, the like getting everything a detail off, like smudged this instruction a tiny bit and didn't get the right results. Maybe there is an intentional message about incompetence in yes book. maybe there is maybe it's done on purpose i mean I, I mean even just the fact that like trumpkin who was not that way in the previous books is like deaf yeah well i mean even if he was deaf the fact that he is like foggy in the brain where he was yeah. quite sharp yeah, yeah. and maybe i think the, maybe everybody's, everybody's off in this book there's something to be read into there I think yeah maybe. that at the start everything is a hodgepodge of mistakes that are only a half step off and it ends up leading them so far afield and they do right course once they piece everything together but it's that hindsight is 2020 and i think that again back to how we hear the lord and what weird things and promptings are we following is like hey i want to live a god-honoring life i am not gonna go talk to trees i'm gonna just 
do what's right by me and what I think looks good. And then it's just a like half step step off because you actually should have gone to talk to the tree because really you show up and see a friend there who needed you to pray for them. You know, like there's that there's that weird step you have to go to and like I'm gonna give Jill a little bit of grace in that she had no idea what she was doing when she got those first instructions. But for everybody else, that whole half that that little just ish off that they were led to a, a whole comedy of errors of almost getting eaten by giants. So what is the last two and a half years of my life been but a comedy of errors of almost being eaten by giants because Jill didn't get the message right and got yeeted off into the <laughs> distance of a wild ride bickering with me with you there for the ride problem i was about to say um i think one of the one of the things about this book which which made it hard for me to enjoy reading it as a kid all of the other narnia books the imagery is so clear mm. and like bright and crisp and even though the, like this book still has quite a bit of imagery it's all fuzzy it's fuzzy it's it's not clear it's it's all very dark and like the descriptions of the underground like city yeah. i've never been able to picture that in my brain of what it's supposed to look like even though it's described i can never even as a kid i couldn't build a picture of it so i could never immerse myself into this book as well as i could into any of the other books i I think that's the wateriness we're dealing with Luna and all of that mythology. But I also didn't really feel like that was as big of a problem for me. It didn't stand out as distinct in that way when I remember reading them as a kid. And then again, the associations I have with them now is much more like snapshots of the stories. And it's not the, the underworld. It's the scene in the room with the silver chair that is the one that matters in the whole book mm -hmm. and I can picture that room like I can see that I can see the silver chair I can see them across the room I can see the black knight being like ho ho don't untie me I'm under a curse because he talks like that in my head <laughs> and he I talks he talks like Santa Claus <laughs> ho 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 <laughs> no, no not ho 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 <laughs> just a like jolly ho kind two of hoes. just two <laughs> two hoes <laughs> uh well, oh, I will say Chip, chip Cheerio might also be in there. <laughs> Carry on. The the the. <laughs> this is amazing. You're welcome. <laughs> so, um, the I think the scene that really becomes crisp and clear for me, or the part where the book starts to become more clear, is when they emerge in the side of the hill after everything and there's like the snow dance and they're throwing the snowballs like around. Like the village dance you'll do at my wedding Yes, so like the village dance. I will I will dance the entire village dance by myself. No, someone was in here with you. Audrey. Audrey. Goodness, Audrey. you're dropping your entire life lore on, I... <laughs> on these podcast listeners. It's crazy. Um, no, anyway, I love the, like, that's that's where things become slightly more clear because they're above ground and they have successfully yeah yes but even but even after the snow dance it goes back it goes back to being fuzzy interesting yeah i i don't have again i haven't read this book in a really long time so i'm going i'm stretching my memory to its limits i did watch a summary video to my shame as i must admit but uh 
I my problem with the locations as they're described in the book has less to do with how the how compelling the imagery is and more to just do with the whiplash that I get in terms of how they're jumping from one place to another, which I feel like there is not an equivalent in the other. I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I would agree with it's, that. Yeah. I think that it's just crazy how it it's like they're, you know, behind the gymnasium and then they're in the forest and then they're being blown off a cliff and then they're somewhere else and then they're casting in place and then like, they're in the marsh and then they're at the giants and then they're in yeah, a cave. Yeah. It's like, there's like, just I, a lot of like switching back and forth. And I think that that in combination with what I was talking about earlier about it not really feeling like the plot is going anywhere in certain parts just makes it feel kind of weird and almost monotonous in terms of how it unfolds, if that makes sense. Because you have to yeah. reset every scene. Yeah, and yeah. Then, especially also, I don't think we talked about that earlier, but I, I, I don't find the the uh, the Green Witch or whatever she's referred to as to be a particularly compelling antagonist. And I also don't find Rillian to be a compelling, whatever you would call him, yeah. motivation for the protagonist. Yeah. So, He's like an accidental motivation hmm. because they they were sent on this journey and they're like, oh, we're following what Aslan told us, but like also we're kind of there. There was a lost prince. Yeah, and it's it's not that they it doesn't feel like this this oh quest to save the lost prince because he's kind of this forgotten prince in yeah. a lot of ways when they start on this journey. But also, I feel like Eustace again. Eustace should have been more motivated because. I feel. I mean, I feel like if I were in Eustace's shoes and I just watched the older version of my best friend get on a ship and go away, and then I found out that his son was missing, and I, I would be like, "Well, I, I might not ever see my best friend again, but this is something I can do for him." Oh yeah. And there isn't like Eustace just doesn't really care about, <laughs> about the prince. That's his grief. <laughs> I think that the book would have been better if it was this grand, glorious mission to rescue the yeah. Lost Prince. I yeah. think that would have made a better story. I think my problem with it is that it didn't have that. It's almost it's not. It's almost be. not the focus, even though it yeah. is. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I think that's that's where it was supposed to be the running plot on the surface. It just ends up being so deeply buried because it's more about how do we listen to the instructions that were given by God. Mm-hmm. Which also, I just want to put a little detour of the the disjointedness that we don't seem bothered by the fact that they're island hopping in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader to like vastly different places, and mm-hmm. that somehow is completely acceptable. Well, they're on a ship. I I don't remember the Voyage of the Dawn Treader that well, so I, like, and I was saying earlier, like, I, if if they it is similar in the other books, then I well, with, but it doesn't with, feel that way. That's what I'm saying. Well, okay, okay. It's and much I, more like an adventure journey. Yeah. yeah, and I think part of that is that we get like through Eustace's diary entries, we get time in between each island. Like they're on the boat for a few, for quite a bit before they even reach the first island. I mean, there's some wandering through the day of there walking is. before they get to the next vastly different. I mean, it doesn't there is, feel but as long. They're but... also, they're not like they are on the sea and the sea, well, I think I mean, they fight a <laughs> sea. <laughs> They fight a sea serpent. Like they're when they're I mean they fight a giant in Wait, this one. Wait, they fight a sea serpent in in Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But then the main antagonist in this is one is serpent. just an, like a, a normal snake. snake. A normal snake. snake. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of weird. Um 
Yeah. No, but like. Oh, I just wanted to Oh, I thought you meant Harry Potter. No, 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 no. I was making a Harry Potter, a very no. Potter musical reference. You know what? The Basilisk is actually it's supposed to be like a chicken. I mean, I'm not J.K. Rowling, obviously, but it's a snake. But like the Basilisk, the creature. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the um This is gonna be way more about Harry Potter than than the silver, the silver chair. Yeah. We can reel it back in. We're talking about Narnia. Yeah. No, I liked I liked what I mean what you I agree with what you said about how the green lady just isn't a compelling antagonist because she doesn't like like she kind of just disappears. Yeah. And yeah, she, she leaves really in alone with these strangers. Yeah, and she she's she's who doesn't she know that they're like narnian connected i don't know i don't i don't think she does i mean i would imagine like she, the, like puddle seeing as they, ha- sure. as they have a mar a marsh wiggle with them i would imagine yeah that but i also would think that any evil villain would be surprised to just see two children show up at their door that like they wouldn't be expecting them to be jade the is totally yeah, that's a, that's i mean that's true <laughs> that's true jade is yeah children. Oh, there's also like like someone makes a comment about how like we're pretty sure that this green lady comes from the same place as the as white Judith. witch. Yeah. But then there's how like no more that? depth to that. And also, weren't all that wasn't like a huge thing for a magician's nephew that all of the people in Charm, I think it's yeah. called, are mm-hmm. dead. She, she killed all. Yeah. Of them. yeah. She killed everybody. So like, who is this lady? If that's the case, yeah. she escaped already. Or like, I, uh, I mean, I guess. Or like, I mean, as a kid, I thought she just was the white witch, and the white witch didn't actually die, but. She's no, not. she's not. Yeah, she's... I think that's what I used to think too, and I I think that just speaks to how not interesting she is. That like her even her motivation is like super. It's to take over the world, which is so like pinky in the brain. Like not not that the White Witch was necessarily like super compelling as a villain in every aspect either. But... She just was more successful for a while. Yeah, yeah. but I, yeah, I just don't. I, I don't know. Because the Green Lady is just building an army of underworld could, people, yeah. which seems like a really lame army. <laughs> <It's> so... <laughs> and also, like, like okay, someone else picturing like naked mole, mole rat type. Yeah, army. yeah, like I'm weird. Just, just not... I'm picturing like little men who are like, whoa, you are the overlander. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but also, why? Okay, the fact that they let a prince go out riding on his own after his mother had been killed when they were out on a like like he's the prince well, why does he know right? well yeah he was looking for a snake but he's going out alone why does but this he, prince he's not yeah, yeah. It's like a, he's he's no, no 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 but like it's not it's not Cascades about him progeny. it's yeah. not about him being like like doing like he's capable of doing things on his own but it's the fact that he's Caspian's only kid. He's the only prince. The the queen has just died, and he has no guards. Like, I mean, it's dumb. It's like, it's <laughs> he's also he's also literally like he's meant to be a child. Essentially, he's like sixteen or something. You were once a child of sixteen. Did you feel like a child, or did you feel like an angst? No, do anything. If no, your okay, mom no. was killed by a snake, you would want to like find the snake. No, I wouldn't. Really? I, well, I mean, <laughs> if I was killed by a snake, if... you would avenge me. What's well, not even about avenging? <laughs> wow. I would if avenge you. There, no, listen. I, I mean, in the snake. moment, I would try to kill the snake in the moment. Like, if the snake was get over attached, it? I wouldn't get over <laughs> you dying. 
<laughs> but in the it, moment, but then after a while, I probably just let it go. You know? No, but like, like, like Drinian literally tells him, "There's no point in take in avenging your mother's death on a snake because there's a difference between between going after a snake for killing your mom and going after a person for killing your mom. Like, it's a different thing. Oh, because the snake doesn't have because like, they don't autonomy. And... Right? They don't know that at this it's point that it's the, that it's a lady. <laughs> that it's a person. And then there's oh but but then there's also the thing of like he like the the lady snake literally seduces him into good yeah, going yeah, with her. It's super weird. It's really uncomfortable. Because like, what is she actually going to do with him? Also, she. <laughs> <laughs> this is just mostly us hissing on your podcast. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't know. I just, because, okay, in the real world, an only prince would have like a bunch of guards with him that whole time. Yeah, but like in the real world, there also wouldn't be a witch like turning into a snake and, yeah. like, <laughs> and snaring princes. No, but right? like there are, but like even in, even in the horse and his boy, there's like Cor- Corin there's had there. guards, Lazareline constantly had people around didn't. her. Corin didn't. Shasta, well, because he was a servant boy okay, for the first okay. 11 years of his life. He was kidnapped as a baby, so clearly they weren't guarding one of the babies. Could we say, could we say that this is just yet another example of incompetence kind of being like a recurring motif in the book, right? Because yeah. Because of her weird, like her whole, we don't get her motivations, it's no. because there's. What what's the point even of yeah. being but she just the doesn't... guardian of the underworld to maybe, take over the overworld? Maybe some people are just evil too. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. That's an yeah, yeah. But um oh the also something what you said about how it's it's hard to keep track kind of of where the story is because like every single day it's in like a new setting. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if that was a jab at Tolkien. Because Tolkien wrote it took forever. It, took to get forever. it was three books about walking. And then and it was a fantastic then, walk. Eight hundred pages about Tom Bombadil, who does not actually appear physically in the text. I guess he does. Who am I? I think it's somebody else. He doesn't appear in the movies. He doesn't appear in the movies, but Tom well, Bombadil is a major I character in the books. Movies. Well, I guess I saw the one. That's not one. You saw the first twenty minutes. One you, Lord of the Rings. No, he I saw the, the full, he, he saw, saw more than twenty minutes. No, it was twenty minutes. Really? Yeah, that's why we stopped because we were like, "This is so long." But have you seen a Harry Potter musical? Uh yes, but so I you do know, know the reference. I'm yes, thinking. yes. But okay, but 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 with Tolkien, there's like some other character that he talks about where he's, they like tell stories about him, and then he doesn't like actually like physically appear in the book, and it's like he does it. Sauron is just an eyeball. I mean, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I don't. I haven't read Lord of the Rings in a really long time, so I don't remember anything. And I, to right. be honest, I don't even know if I read the whole thing. So. Okay, back to this. But okay, wait. I was making a point, and it got lost. Uh. Okay, I the fact that they jumped from day to day to a new place could be a jab at Tolkien. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You were making a point, and then I interrupted. Completely. No, that was my point. Okay. Like, I just think it's funny. That is. Yeah. Very possible. The thing is, I don't. I don't actually mind that if it's clear that it's for a purpose. I just think that because the main goal that they're aspiring to is so hazy, it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like it justifies itself. Yeah. Anymore. There isn't. It, it doesn't feel like they're doing all this adventuring and walking around and it, it just doesn't feel for like a very vague purpose all right yeah. so what is the point of you adventuring around in life if not to listen to the instructions god has given you but there's a there's a a, a like i mean i'm not arguing the point that i think it's weird in this book mm-hmm. but i'm connecting it to that is still something we can learn and grow from yeah you could i you can respond to that no i yeah. that 
I honestly, yeah, I honestly, I don't have a lot of positive things to say about this book. Okay, then we will go on to my long rant about the Black Knight. Okay. okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. As established, I no, always... not <laughs> um, Okay, so I, a couple of years ago, had an encounter with someone who was just like, the Black Knight. Mm -hmm. I was very upset about this encounter and I was like, gross, this person is gross and they're awful and they gaslit me and they were a jerk and they told me that my disability was a punishment from God and all kinds of terrible things. Mm -hmm. And I was very distraught and upset about it. And then I was convicted that um, perhaps there was a human person inside of this asshole robot that I had encountered who I regularly was referring to as an asshole robot at that point. <laughs> and I then was suddenly struck by the image of the scene where Puddleglum and the kids first meet the Black Knight when they're out above ground and they have this conversation where they're like something's off about that dude like he's really weird like this isn't normal he seems like stilted and and weird like like just something's off and then they discover that it's brilliant and he's under this spell and I think what's really powerful and profound is that I was I was recognizing in my life that I had encountered someone who was not actually behaving like their true self. Like I didn't see the human person inside. I just saw this asshole robot. And for me, it was really convicting that there are times when people like obviously this person's not under a spell, but like we don't always see someone at their human element. We see them in, in a in their armor that hides who their true self is for whatever reason, whether it's like they're they're trying to cover up a wound or they're ashamed and embarrassed about themselves or they just are awkward people or they like, you know, there's, there's a whole host of reasons that you could encounter someone not at their best and you don't see their humanness. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful like pictures in this book of a clear lesson of I want to encounter the humanness in someone and engage with them and respond to them in their humanness. And, and so once the kids, like, they, they don't immediately dismiss the Black Knight. They just are like, they kind of note to themselves, that's weird. And then when they realize that's really in, they say, okay, we're going to save, we're going to rescue this prince. And I think that's something super beautiful that I want to encounter somebody and be like, okay, you're kind of a jerk, but there's a human person in there. And I've been thinking about that with one of the students that I just finished teaching that has been consistently rude and disrespectful to me. Like, and I have talked to Scott's mom about this, about how she has also had the same encounters and she identified like, this is a really hurt and wounded person. And we need to remember and look for the human person inside in our encounters and interactions and not be just so distracted by that hard shell exterior exterior that's off and that's not kind or that's, that's just awkward. That's the end of my rant, but I feel like it's an important one. So the moral of the, of the silver chair is we all have to confront our inner asshole robot at some point in our life. Yeah. <clears throat> it's deep stuff. Mm. I'm less of a, I'm less of a robot than I used to be. Me too. Although I wish I was a literal robot, but not like make a me a robot. Make me I, a I robot. I do. I did remember something sing positive I have soul. to say. You just are stopping me from singing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get copyrighted for anything. Okay. I did remember something positive that I like other than Trumpkin. I <laughs> and Fettle Girl. Um, the, I, I think the opening line in this book is the second best in the 
the entire series. Because which is it was adult. No, no, no. This is yeah. the best one. Yes. But the open line in this one is it was a dull autumn day and Jill Pole was crying behind the gym, which Aww. was me. <laughs> Every day in the hallway. Yes. But also in the gym. Because I hated PE. Anyway, I find it funny. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I relate I to it on such a deep level. It's hilarious. It is. I'm laughing out loud. Because it was. I don't know. Oh, I also like that it, it it there's also the reference back to the opening line of Don Treader because it says his name unfortunately was used to scrub, but he wasn't that bad. No. <laughs> See? He wasn't that bad. I will say though, for as far as first lines go, Lewis is really good at setting a scene. And like you were saying about him being a good writer, like it's just his writing style is engaging mm -hmm. and he knows he's telling a story and he's not gonna waste time with like flowery details about the plants that they see on their walk. Mm -hmm. Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> this book also, I think, has the has one of the like darkest scenes in all of Narnia, which is when the giants are eating the talking stag and Puddleglum realizes it and Eustace is like gonna be sick and Jill just doesn't understand what's going on. That is it's, pretty intense. Yeah. It's like it's like almost cannibalistic for an Arnian to eat a talking beast. Mm. It is. It is. Yeah. Like straight up. Like yeah. that's not even an almost. But these aren't Narnians and that's why they're okay doing it. Like it's Right. It is it is disturbing for anyone who knows and associates with Narnians. Well, there there are giants who are Narnians cuz there these are, ones aren't. Right. These ones I mean they're not they're in Narnia, but they aren't good giants. Yeah. So but um yeah, I don't know. It's it's that that scene is one that even a, like when I was little it would it would kind of make me nauseous. Like I didn't like reading that part. Mm. It is jarring how easily they disassociate the hu the like okay I was gonna say humanity but the the personhood of the talking stag mm -hmm. the that we who love Narnia immediately recognize the personhood of Reepicheep the personhood of Mr and Mrs Beaver like they they are equals to the humans mm -hmm. in the sense of personhood and that Jill has no reference point for that mm -hmm. because, and, and like um, Eustace's first encounter with Reepicheep, he's like, gross a rat. Yeah. Like, so he, <laughs> he does freak out at the talking mouse situation initially, but mm -hmm. he eventually like they become good friends. And so Jill just doesn't have that moment yet. And it's a very interesting juxtaposition of how Puddleglum and Eustace can recognize it and she can't. I don't even know if she really has an interaction with a talking beast until the last battle. Because I don't think she ha really has one in this book. And then in the last battle, there's, um, was he a unicorn or a horse? A unicorn. A unicorn, yeah. I genuinely can't remember in this book if she has any. I don't think she does. Hmm. She doesn't have any action interactions with a lot of what we know of Narnia mm -hmm. and like come to expect of it because they're on this I mean they're in all these new places we yeah. also didn't know Puddleglum yeah. was a thing until this book that's true yeah and Puddleglum is like the only of the only one of his people that is like named and you know he's just the most cheerful he's yeah he's considered the most cheerful of the Marsh yeah, he's like an outcast but I'm saying like his his like his uh his like uh what do you call him what are they called species yeah yeah the, the, he's like the only one that they mentioned. Right? 
Like he's not. There's no. Uh, no oh, like none of them are characters. They don't yes. have interactions. Yeah, yeah, they don't interact. They yeah. mention that there's others that like he's so that, not the only one. Yeah, but... so that just kind of like. Something yeah, that I I just realized like right now, it, like we don't in like in the last battle when the world has ended and we're kind of um, being reintroduced, like we're seeing old characters again. Mm-hmm. We don't see Puddleglum. It's true. Puddleglum, Puddleglum is really? Puddleglum is the only like main side but character who doesn't reappear in Unland's country. I thought, I thought he w- was. Am mm-hmm. I misremembering? Yeah, mis- well, I would think he would be, but we don't see him. Mm, maybe it's we see Reapercheep because sure. Reapercheep yeah. greets Reepa them Cheap at the gates. The first ones. But do we see everyone from the land, the Witch and the Wardrobe? Yeah, that we per, named, I mean, that was named. We yeah, from a distance. Well, no, okay, you know what? That's... <laughs> we'll get there. No, so we like. I think we see them from a distance. Because oh, because it, it mentions it mentions that at one point Lucy is like talking to a fawn, mm-hmm. and it's kind of suggested yeah, that she, it, that is Tumnus. I don't know if we see what the beavers. The beavers, the beavers was that what I was thinking. Like, so if there's if the beavers aren't mentioned, it makes sense that Puddleglum's not mentioned because because Reepicheep and Tumnus for sure are way more like strong characters than Puddleglum anyways like yeah. even as far as yes he is the he's the guide through this but the story is about jill and eustace mm-hmm. and puddleglum is literally just their guide well it's interesting that well that's another thing because it's it's interesting that that this isn't i mean it's not just jill and eustace struggling to figure to like follow the instructions Aslan gave them, but Puddleglum is meant to be like an adult there, yeah. essentially. He's kind of and crap at that. I mean, yeah, I I guess. Like he makes sure that they get fed, I suppose. But like, yeah, could they not have done that on their own? Like as far as as far as as guy, because again, if we're gonna go back to Jill, wasn't taught how to listen to the Holy Spirit to to instructions from Aslan. Puddleglum doesn't really give her a lot of guiding in that sense of like here's how you grow as a as a good strong narnian or whatever Mm -hmm. like even in that sense of like here's how to be a good person right he's not really providing that but he does tell them we he does like is clearly not comfortable with going into the giant's house the entire time they're there he's trying to get them to leave and jill and eustace won't listen to him so like that I, i think i think that's interesting that they're not they're not listening to Aslan's instructions and they're also not, not listening, listening to, to right yeah so how many adults in your life have you not listened to when I've told you to do so I'm just kidding <laughs> I've always listened to you <laughs> except for maybe when I didn't do my wibbits because I hated them but... you told me you still have them I do because I like so the memories you did <laughs> the memories of not doing my homework <laughs> I like the memories of your class and I did all my visits. You had to do them to, to graduate. Yeah. Okay, to I, my class. I did end up doing them, but some of them I just didn't answer honestly because I didn't know what to answer. Why did you lie to me? Wow. Because I needed to finish the class and graduate BFA. And you did. And I did. <laughs> I I do think it's difficult to uh, listen to adults sometimes. I yeah, I mean, I hate listening to other people. I, them, so. I hated being a kid because ki- adults didn't listen to kids. And so I didn't mm. understand why kids had to listen to adults. Mm. I still kind of don't. I do, but I like don't. 
I don't it's agree. Hard there's, with... there's times where kids have. A, so I remember an experience, and this was it was Scott's sister telling me about this. So someone who grew up in Palestine was in a heated conversation with someone who grew up in Israel, and they were teenagers having very high level, nuanced conversation about um, hot topic political issues that they had personal experience related to. And Maggie said that an RA who had just moved from America butt into the conversation, having no or context and really just did not contribute well and it was it was an interesting moment of like this adult thought oh i am the adult so i can fix this conversation but these kids were talking about something way over this adult's head mm-hmm. and as as a teacher at the fa there are there are life experiences that my students have had that i have not and i have to have the humility and um discernment to know where like how to navigate those lines where I still may be in a position of authority in their life as the adult, because I am the like responsible grown up who's been assigned to care for them in certain ways. So there's, there's ways in which kids do have more experience than adults and adults need to respect that. But there's also times in which the adults are in caretaker mode and they need to navigate what are the boundaries of caretaker and can I respect what experience this child has had that I have not. Mm-hmm. That didn't lead to any response. I mean, I, I, the only, the only thing I have in response to I'm the adult and I said (laughs) everything that needs to be said. No, the the only thing I have in response to that is like, I have in my life had more experience, um, being told to shut up and that I was wrong simply because I was younger, especially in regards to my medical situations. Which makes um, no sense. Which makes no sense. And it's very, like, demeaning. Yeah. And as a kid, even as a little kid, you can tell you're not being taken seriously on a subject that you know you're smart and you know that yeah. this is what needs to be done and no one's listening just because you're small and that I wouldn't go back for anything. <laughs> And yet Aslan chose to share the instructions with a child instead of the adult. Which he does consistently. I mean, these books. In my life. These. Yes. What? I consistently find my children hear from the Lord often about me, not me directly. That is true. Like you have felt I, like the uh, Lord has told you things about my life and like have, have graciously I still, shared them with me. I still don't know what it means for Jesus to hand me an ottoman at your house <laughs> but what's inside what is inside the a ottoman baby listeners listeners like food right Who had someone, food inside? someone said food someone I mean, said a baby what are you referring okay okay so, so, so we were so, we did this exercise at my house where like you've done this before at my house where i've made you like close your eyes and just yes. like what do you see what do you hear whatever i'm very discomforted by this not it's in true. like a like you should but i think like it's a i think it's a it's a good practice to be doing something different that makes you like think and that you don't yes. just get in a rut it kind mm-hmm. of like it disrupts you from being in a rut and pattern in how you're living whatever so I did it with Lissy, and she just felt like she had this image of Jesus handing her an ottoman. And well, it ottoman was as in like the furniture. Yeah, yeah. Not well, it like was. A fish man. <laughs> <laughs> it was that's what was inside the ottoman. Was an ottoman. <laughs> no, so so no, so that that picture came to me after you you posed the question. It was like, what is something you need 
to how do you need to support someone else or it was something like it had what to is do Jesus giving you to help others or yeah something like that? and then I got the picture of me me and Miss Hewitt sitting in the kitchen and the doorbell ringing and me answering it and Jesus handing me an ottoman Hand, so ottomans are like pretty big right it's not like this sort of thing well yeah right yeah so like it's a bulky object so i imagine it as like it looks like you know the 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 dog stool in beauty and the beast no i'm not okay yeah. well it's got like ma ma oh, yes, yeah, okay, yes. mahogany yeah. legs and like a red yeah, velvet yeah. cushion and yeah. in my mind it like it looked like that but the the cushion of, oh, like right. the seat opened yeah okay right so then we but, were we were posing the question to everyone anyone who walked anyone by, who walked by what, is in, what is in the ottoman what if is, jesus handed you an ottoman what would be inside i think that's what we specifically yeah. asked and caleb said a baby because <laughs> his wife was pregnant so yeah. that might have been on his mind um and someone said a quilt that was actually Emily, a, co right? a couple Emily people said, said like a quilt yeah. or blanket a bunch of people said like a Bible or like the New Revelation. I think your dad said the New Revelation, the new Revelation. or something like that. But some, I thought somebody said food. Somebody did. <laughs> your dad did not say okay. that. For the record. Uh, <laughs> somebody did say food. Yeah. I think it was Dustin. I think it was Dustin. I feel like when I think about this scenario, if I might give my yeah, I imagine you receiving the ottoman and opening it. And inside finding nothing. I feel like the ottoman is empty. So the ottoman is the gift to help people with. Well, or it, well, and this... maybe the ottoman isn't a gift at all. And it's just like an arbitrary thing. Like you're supposed to learn something from the emptiness of the ottoman. That's a bleak. That's so okay, sad. No, 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 no. Sorry. No, no. I don't mean to say it. Like no, 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 no. It I... could be like a very interesting and like fun thing. Yeah. You know? Like I, I, like what if, what if it's like a lesson about like, reading too much into things or something you know yeah. well and not, that's where we were trying to be careful not to right. read too much into it right like we like the point of that exercise of me having people like have conversations about what do you hear in the trees and what does your you know like what do you what kind of image would you see of jesus handing you a gift it's it's not that this is a thus says the lord moment but no. it's a hey what's going on in our imagination and how mm -hmm. do we compare that to what the bible says about god's character and how we should live and so that's where it was fascinating to hear so many different answers of like someone said the universe was in the ottoman yeah so like the 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 like possibilities and it says so much about each individual of what's been like again caleb said a baby because and em emily peck said i shouldn't be i'm not responsible enough for this or something yeah like because that. she was like i can't hold an ottoman it's too heavy and i'm too small and like <laughs> Yeah, there's so there was so much in in those responses that was fascinating about like what do we expect Jesus to hand us, and like what does Jesus think we're capable of receiving? But then it was also the thing of like it was in answer to the question of like how can I what can I give to someone else in terms of support or something like that. I don't remember mm -hmm. how it was framed, but yeah, and it then, had to do with helping. And, and then, sometimes it's something simple like a piece of furniture. Yeah. Well, so well, sometimes there isn't anything in the ottoman. But sometimes I don't. The ottoman. You're right. Sometimes the. But ottoman I don't think I'm. But I don't think I meant to give Miss Hewitt an ottoman. No. So I'm the not, ottoman. I'm not like literally a piece <laughs> yeah. of furniture. I'm right. saying like something simple. Like yeah. A simple right. thing yeah. that you can give to somebody to like be like. Right. You. But then that also it also kind of posed the question of if you're at someone's house, and Jesus rings the doorbell and hands you something, is it for you or is it for the person who lives there? Hmm. Because, right because jesus knows where because that was emily's thing is like yeah. jesus knows i'm gonna answer the door mm -hmm. if it's jesus 
And if you, yeah, like you answered the door for me, mm-hmm. but Jesus so is said it, who it was for. So it is it like you. mine to open and then give to Miss Hewitt, or is it for me to give to Miss Hewitt unopened and then for her to open it? When I when I was just listening to you describe it, my understanding was that you were receiving it and then giving it to Miss Hewitt. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I wasn't. It's not. It didn't. Again, me, we so. are not over. Inter- we're just like yes. having the hypothetical conversation. It's kind of fun. This is yeah, like, I didn't know about this. This is this is this. why I ask you what you hear in the trees. Say, we get these kinds of conversations. But then I, but then I can't. I, I don't conflict. I don't hear fun things like this. But we've had great conversations about what you've, what you've heard. I yeah. feel like I haven't heard anything of note though. I feel like but every we've still time had great be, it's just like I hear the wind. But the see that but like let's 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 we still get great conversations from that. Yeah. And that's like in this whole from the start of our conversation of how you liked this the book being different of Aslan speaking differently. Mm-hmm. Because I can ask the two of you the same question and Lissy might come up with a very like clear image in her imagination of Jesus handing and her an ottoman. <laughs> And you and I are going to have a conversation about like, oh, I have a strong gifting in rhetoric and logic and mm-hmm. and like being able to talk about how you want to debate people in politics and convert them to Christian anarchy. Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be a rich conversation available to both of you as different people from me having the same question at the start. And I think that that actually is something super beautiful about the Chronicles of Narnia being so vastly different is that each story is still the same Aslan showing up in these totally different ways and interacting with different people and different groupings of them. Cause like I have interacted with, and this is, this is a perfect example of like Lissy and I have conversations together. Scott and I have conversations together. Lissy and Scott and I have conversations together. I also have had conversations with like you and the lads and like there's <laughs> the other lads. people that like the bros. whatever is going to be a part of that conversation would the dynamic changes when you mix up who the people are. And so the dynamic of how Aslan shows up is one way with the Pevensey kids. And then all of a sudden Eustace is the cousin and it, it shifts and then it's Eustace and Jill and it's different again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so fascinating of like, okay, I'm going to have the same Jesus and encounter the same Jesus in a conversation with each of you individually. But with one of you, there's going to be more imagery just because that's your brain. That's interesting. Yeah. But it's also frustrating at the same time. Because yeah. I feel like the people who get like really strong imagery as somebody who does not well, you feel like you're missing something, you know, you feel like you're not working the right way in some sense. But as someone who has not always gotten imagery, mm-hmm. like I, I completely understand where you're coming from because that is a relatively new thing for me. Mm-hmm. And and even get like receiving images, they don't make sense. 99% of the time mm-hmm. there's no rhyme or reason to them from the beginning and like like that whole thing with the ottoman I think I just now realized what that was about what I, wait I, <laughs> this is huge like like you two were talking I kind of I was kind of like it just kind of like came to me like I think this was what it was about but like it's not a huge profound thing but it's like oh. will you share it when we stop recording I mean yeah okay I can share it now and just edit it out cut out that part yeah but I think what's some something that's really wild about receiving images or visions or whatever in Jill's case, in your case, in anyone's like walk with Jesus is sometimes it doesn't make sense and we try and make sense of it in the mm-hmm. moment and then it's like a year later that it clicks into place and something like 
all of a sudden falls into, oh, I understand this better. Yeah. And like the, because isn't it when they, they were supposed to look for the, what, what word is Jill supposed to be looking for? And they realize they're walking in the letters. Oh. But they don't they don't see it until they're in the giant's house. Like right. they never would have got that unless they had actually gotten off course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have actually seen it from the distance to know where they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And not that we should go off distance to see like go off path to see things where this is, but that sometimes it does require us going a bit further down the journey. And and that's something that I've been really frustrated with where like over a period of a couple of months and this started two and a half years ago multiple people had vi- told me they had visions or dreams of me walking again mm. and that this was gonna come soon and that like got i was like i'm all in my worldview completely open to god miraculously healing me so i can walk again and i'm absolutely ready tomorrow is the ninth anniversary of the date the date we're recording this tomorrow is the ninth anniversary of me breaking my back i am so ready to be done with a wheelchair and so I, I'm so ready in my in my anticipation of this, and I was excited to hear people say that, but I, I don't know why I would have been told two and a half plus years in advance that this is something on the horizon that a miraculous healing could happen or would happen. Mm-hmm. And again, I still, in my worldview, open-handedly can anticipate that, but I also, in my life experience, have spent nine years in a wheelchair. And that's a really difficult tension to navigate how in the Christian worldview, God does miracles, God, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And, and we also have so many people that like, I've taught so many students who choose to walk away from Jesus because they haven't seen a personal miracle. And Jesus straight up tells the Pharisees, you ask for signs and miracles all you're going to get is the sign of jonah like so it's not about living for the miracles but i also know so many students who have a faith that is deepened by encounters with the miraculous and that's just it's so wild for me to navigate that not everybody gets that and one of my kids i remember having a conversation with like why won't god just show me something like he shows other people And I don't have an answer for that. And I don't have an answer for why, like, we have to navigate these things where God speaks to us in ways that don't make sense in the moment. And so Jill gets these messages that don't make sense in the moment. But that's part of her story forevermore is that she recognized Aslan did speak to her Mm -hmm. and she was better off following his instructions and and trying to figure out what they mean Mm -hmm. and paying attention to and learning them. And so I, I feel like I'm better off listening to the Holy Spirit and better off following the instructions of what's in scripture and learning scripture and knowing what God's character is so that when I get some weird nudge Holy Spirit thing that I am ready to listen and say like, okay, this feels weird, but I'm going to follow through. Like there's no, there's nothing outside of God's character to reach out and text Lissy like, Hey, I think you're great. Like that's like to offer an encouragement because that's been a couple of the times in my life where there's been a specific nudge. You should text this person. And I'm like, that's really weird. Like I don't talk to them a lot. And there was one person in particular, I remember who was dealing with a lot of grief and we had never met. We had only talked once before. And I felt like I just kept getting this nudge. Like you should text this person. You should text this person. And I found out later I ignored it. And I found out later it was her first birthday after her fiance had died. Mm. And I like that whole day, I felt like I was supposed to text this person some encouragement. And I was like, she doesn't know me. That's weird. Like, I'm not going to do it. And so 
ever since then, when I've had a nudge to text somebody on a day, like there's no harm in just saying, here's an encouragement for you. Cause you don't know what that positive benefit could be. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily of Jill's instructions. They were much more practical, right. but like, well, that, that I've is... not gotten the same kind of practical instruction. Yeah. And that, that is a big difference with, cause Jill, like I told you before we started recording, like Jill is given clear cut instructions and doesn't listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I know people and I have tried to when given images that make no sense that I don't even know 100% if they're from if they're from my own personal fears or desires or if they're from God but I take that risk and follow them anyway like there it's it's that's frustrating to me that Jill got a clear cut yeah here's what you need to do and just couldn't find it in herself to stick to it because if, if either of you were given the instructions, if you even had a waver, a glimmer of that might be the Holy Spirit telling you to tell me to stand up and walk, I know neither one of you would hesitate. I've told you I empathize with non-book Jill. Yes. Because I under, I can see where the anxiety would come from, from getting a clear-cut message like that. Yeah. Book Jill isn't anxious. Book Jill is just a brat. But we don't know that. Okay, I'm going to defend book Jill here and say, like, there is, like, Lewis is trying to create a human person. Mm-hmm. And, like, in her humanity, yeah, she's a child and she's a brat. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that there's not anxiety related to that and that her brattiness is not a result of her anxiety. No, of course of, of course not. And, like, and, I do, and I do appreciate the arc that she goes through and the person we get to see her be in the last battle. Because yeah. you do see... That there is a clear once you get to the through this book and to the last battle, you appreciate the purpose behind the silver chair with Jill. I think you really as as much as annoying as it and frustrating as it is to read, I think it's a necessary read if you're reading through the whole series. Um, because it does give you a more clarity to Jill's character. Scott, do you have anything you want to add before we end this? Uh, I don't think so, honestly. I feel like <laughs> I feel like we've covered basically every base that we could. In my opinion, not not Lewis's best work. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I'm much better at looking at it along a literary line than necessarily in terms of the allegorical significance of, of the work. Mm-hmm. But so maybe that's why I feel like I don't have as much to contribute as you guys. But I uh, I definitely can relate to a lot of what you guys are saying. And I think it's uh, that definitely my, my, my position on it now and the way that I view the silver chair now, having heard you guys kind of explain your thoughts on it has definitely altered my own perspective now. So I'll say that much. I mean, as established by my passion about the voyage of the Dawn Treader, it's not my favorite in the series, but I still think there are those, again, those key elements to learn from that I value of what's being communicated in this story. And yeah, not not my favorite book of the series, not my favorite Lewis book by a long shot, but I still think it's it's been such a good descriptor. Again, like I've used that that Black Knight um, really in comparison so many times of I need to see the human person um, and the conversation with um, how Jill needs to follow directions from Aslan. Like those those two lessons are really, significant and valuable in my life yeah definitely my least favorite of the series but i do 
I do appreciate that um, Jill and Eustace are both kind of meant to be, especially in this book, I think they're, they're meant to kind of be mirrors to that the reader can look into and maybe recognize uh, not great parts of themselves, but then also recognize the ability that they have to grow despite those aspects of themselves. So I appreciate that. Um, and I do appreciate how it contributes to the whole Narnia narrative as a whole. I think just on its own, it's not the best, um, but I love Puddleglum. Yeah. I love uh, halfly deaf. <laughs> I love that he's like, that he immediately thinks Eustace is useless. Um, yeah. Owls are cool. Owls are cool. We love owls. We do love owls. Yes. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining. Scott, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, I hope you guys will come back on the podcast sometime. It'd be pretty cool. I would love to. Same. Awesome. Um, and listeners, I will see you next week for the last battle. Thank you so much for listening in on this week's episode of Books in the Corner. To find out more about the books that me and my friends read as kids, you can listen to any previous episodes on the Anchor website, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye!